to worship with us at Bay Area. Um, if you are ever to call the office here at church during the week, most of the time that phone call will be answered by the very knowledgeable, very friendly, very efficient Aloha Humphrey. Aloha sitting back there. Raise your hand, Aloha. It's the church secretary. You need to know who the church secretary is. She does a great job. Aloha fields a lot of calls during the week. And you might not know this, but there's a lot of salesmen that call churches every week. Every week we get all kind of calls from different salesmen. There's different uh, programs and products and, and things that are sort of geared towards churches. Every now and then, I answer the phone. And I know it's a salesman when they ask to speak to the senior pastor. On the phone, senior pastor is code for somebody that can make financial decisions. That's what they really want to talk. They want to talk to somebody that can make financial decisions, but they ask for the senior pastor. Now, if you've been in the Churches of Christ very long, you know that we take the term pastor pretty literally and pretty biblically. In the Old Testament, Jeremiah called himself a pastor. In the New Testament, the same word that's used for pastor is used for overseer, bishop, or elder. I am not an elder of the church. I'm certainly not a prophet. Um, you know, I do have pastoral duties, so in that sense, you know, I guess I'm a pastor, but I, never, I don't think of myself as a pastor. Our culture calls any preacher a pastor, and that's fine. I don't, I don't make a big deal. I'm not going to split hairs about that, but I, I certainly don't think of myself as the senior pastor. Well, a couple years ago, someone rang the doorbell. I was the only one in the office. I answered the door, and there was a lady, and she introduced herself. She said, I'm, I'm going around the area. I'm representing a hotel chain that had just opened a convention uh, center. So I want to tell everyone about the convention center that we have, and I'm handing out some free gifts to the senior pastors in the area. Are you the senior pastor? <laughs> and I said, what kind of free gifts? <laughs> and she said, well, I've got this little cooler here, and I've got a little calculator, and I have a pen that lights up. Are you the senior pastor? And I don't know, I couldn't bring myself to say it. So I said, well, I'm the pulpit minister. As if that means anything to anyone in the world other than our fellowship. So she looked at me kind of confused and said, so, so you're like the main guy, right? <laughs> and I said, yeah, sort of. Let me see that pen. <laughs> Pretty neat pen, too. It has a light on it. This end you can, you can write on your tablet. And of course it's a pen too. So yeah, that was a pretty good day. <laughs> hey, don't give me those kind of looks either. Because <laughs> I know you would have done the same thing. You would have done the same thing I did. You know how I know that? Because I sort of know human nature. Because buried within us, Deep down within us, or maybe not so deep, there's this desire to be somebody important. There's this desire to be somebody kind of special, somebody that's respected, somebody that's kind of looked up to. We like that. We kind of like to know that we're, we're important, that we like being first. We're in this sermon series, they're just calling faith. And we're trying to talk about what life in the kingdom really looks like. 
What life in the kingdom would look like if, as far as our, our walk of faith, our faithfulness in, in following Jesus, the attitude, the mindset, the approach that we're going to have if we're going to be faithful followers of Jesus. This morning I want to talk to you about the satisfaction and the joy of being first. I want to talk to you about the satisfaction and the joy of being someone important, someone of significance. And Jesus says, if we're going to be first, we're going to have to finish last. Now, last week I talked a little bit about some of the things that Jesus said that were kind of head-scratchers, especially when he said them. Some things that as Jesus said them, especially to those people who were hearing them live for the first time, were probably like, well, I'm, I'm not sure I understand that. It's a little bit confusing. Well, this morning we're going to talk about another sort of confusing, shocking statement that Jesus made. One of them being, if you really want to be first, you're going to have to finish last. If you really want to be someone important, you're going to have to humble yourself. If you really want to be somebody, you're going to have to be a little bit of a nobody. And he's going to share some information that's really critical for all of us as we think about this life in the kingdom. And again, the, the information that he shares is going to be really counterintuitive to what everything tells us in our culture. So go ahead and get your Bible and open up the Gospel of Mark, the ninth chapter. Mark chapter 9. We're going to go through several things in Mark uh, chapters 9 and 10. Most of it will be on the screen, but you need your Bible anyway because uh, we're going to be moving pretty quickly. In fact, actually, you can't read the Gospel of Mark without moving pretty quickly. Because Mark moves really quickly through his gospel. He's kind of rapid-fire style. He goes story to story to story to story. In fact, one of Mark's favorite words is straightway, if you're reading an older version. Over 20 times he'll use the term straightway. Right away. Here we go. Get ready. Keep up. And he jumps in in Mark chapter 9 by telling us about the transfiguration of Jesus. Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up onto a mountain with him. And there Jesus is transfigured. Something happens to Jesus. He's changed. We're told that his clothes dazzled like lightning. And then Elijah shows up. And Moses shows up. And Jesus and Elijah and Moses are having a conversation there on top of the mountain. Now I want you to think if you were Peter, James, or John and you were watching this happen. Could you imagine? First, something happens to Jesus. He's transfigured. We're not exactly sure what that looked like, but it was pretty amazing, I'm sure. And then there's Elijah. And then there's Moses. So Peter gets the big idea. We're going to build three monuments. One to Elijah, one to Moses, one to Jesus. And then we, we they, hear the voice of God. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Elijah, Moses disappear. Jesus, along with Peter, James, and John, walk back down the mountain. And Jesus tells those three men, I want you to keep this to yourself. I don't want you talking about what you just saw and experienced. Don't tell the other guys about that just yet. And again, could you imagine trying to keep that secret? Whew. I would love to tell you what it was like. Of course, they come to the bottom of the mountain and there the other nine apostles are having an argument with some people. 
Jesus asks, what are you arguing about? And, and uh, a man comes forward and says, well, my son is possessed by a demon. I was kind of hoping your guys could help me, help him, but your guys can't help us. And Jesus' guys say, yeah, we can't help him. Jesus says, bring the boy to me. Jesus drives out the demon. And then he and all 12 apostles now head towards Capernaum. And that's where we're going to pick it up in verse 33 of the ninth chapter of Mark. They came to Capernaum when he was in the house. Now I want you to notice where this is going to take place. Jesus is in a house. He's inside. The twelve are in someone's home when this conversation takes place. He asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. You know, I keep telling you, when Jesus asks a question, he already knows the answer. And he asked these twelve, what were you arguing about on the road? He knows the answer, but he asks them anyway. They were arguing about the same thing we argue about. Who's the most important? Whose opinion should we be listening to the most? Who's, the, who's first? What's the pecking order of this you know, group here? I mean, who's kind of in charge? Now, after Jesus, okay, let, let's get the pecking order figured out. And I don't know who started the argument, but I do know that Peter, James, and John had just been on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. And I have to think that they would be feeling a little bit superior. We know something you don't know. We saw something pretty amazing. Can't talk about it. Jesus said, keep it between us. Yeah, but uh, someday you'll understand what we saw, and it's, it was pretty amazing. Now, I don't know if they said anything like that or not. But I would have to think that Peter, James, and John would have to be feeling a little bit superior, uh, a little bit entitled, special. Verse 35. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, If anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. Now, I said they're talking about some shocking things that Jesus said. This isn't shocking to us, is it? This teaching, we've heard this all our life. We, we sort of expect Jesus to say this. Now, we quote this verse all the time. You'll, you'll probably quote it today. You'll be over here standing in line, the back of the line for the coffee and donuts, and you'll turn to somebody and say, well, the first should be last, last should be first. <laughs> now, we use that verse all the time. But it was brand new to them. This was, this was a new thinking, because none of their leaders ever said, well, the first need to be last. None of the Pharisees said that. For the Pharisees, for the other rabbis, the first will be first. They loved being first. They loved being important. They loved being in charge. And I want you too to remember that for these men, they're still very much a work in progress. Jesus is still teaching these men. He's always going to be teaching. In fact, just a couple of verses earlier in chapter 9, Jesus says they went and hid themselves because he was teaching his disciples. So they're very much a work in progress. And of course, he's trying to teach them something pretty important here. Again, he says, this is counterintuitive. This is going to fly in the face of everything everybody's telling you. The first are going to be last. The last are going to be first. If you want to be somebody important in the kingdom, you're going to have to serve other people. You're going to have to humble yourself. And then look at the very next verse. 
He took a little child and had him stand among them. Taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Now I told you that Mark moves very quickly in his uh, writing style. And because of that, sometimes it's a little bit difficult to put a real hard, fast timeline on things. But I think that what's going on here in verse 36 is in the same context of 33, 34, and 35. I think it's still the same context. I think Jesus is still in a home. Um, he says in verse 35, if anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last, a servant to all. And then he uses a child to continue his teaching. Now notice verse 33 says they were in a house. Verse 36 says he took a little child and asked him to stand among them. Jesus did not say, I'm going to continue teaching now. Somebody go get me a kid. He didn't say, okay, I want to teach you something. Look out the window there at all those children playing in the field. He didn't say, I want to continue teaching and use your imagination that there's a child here with us. No, he didn't have to, did he? Because the implication here is certainly that the child was in the home. The child was right there. The child was, was close by. So Jesus says, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. Whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Now I think there's a couple things going on here. One, we talk about all the time, and we should. It's an important thing. There's something else I think that's going on that we don't talk about nearly as much. Um, equally as important, but we don't talk about it nearly as much. Jesus says, you want to be great? Then there needs to be an innocence about you. If you want to be a great, you need to be like this little child that he's taken in his arms. He said there needs to be a complete lack of prejudice. There needs to be a, a trustfulness, a, a teachableness, a, a lovableness. And I'm not even sure those are real words. But you understand what Jesus is saying, right? We understand what Jesus is trying to teach us. There needs to be a humility about you. There needs to be an understanding that you're a work in progress. You have a lot of growing still to do. It's a powerful lesson that Jesus, this master teacher here, is sharing. And you would think that it was a lesson that they wouldn't soon forget. A lesson that we usually focus on when in that text is we need to be childlike. We need to kind of have that kind of childlike spirit. But I think there's something else going on here as well. Again, the child was there. Jesus didn't say, I want to continue this lesson and I'm going to need some visual props, so get me a stool, a towel, and a child. No, the, the child was there. Jesus takes the child in his arms, right there in the house. And I think maybe, maybe, part of what Jesus wanted them to see and wanted us to understand is don't miss the people who are right in front of you. Don't miss the people who are right in front of you. Don't miss the ones that everyone else misses. Don't ignore the people that everyone always ignores. Don't look past the people that everyone looks past. Don't take it upon yourself to decide who deserves your attention and who doesn't. Now, I've mentioned this before, 
People living in the first century had a very different public perception of children uh, than we do. Their world, their society was certainly not uh, child-driven. You know, in, in a lot of ways, ours is. In a lot of ways, children, young people kind of drive our culture, certainly our consumerism. And in 21st century America, most, at least a lot, of families kind of revolve around the schedule of the children. And I'm not knocking that. Mine certainly did. When my kids were young, you know, middle school, high school, our schedule certainly revolved around our children's schedule. It's probably worse now because there's so many more things for kids to be involved with. And also, our, uh, we, we paid very close attention to our children. That wasn't the case just a couple generations ago here in America. It certainly wasn't the case 2,000 years ago in the Middle East. Children had no standing. They had no status. They had no significance whatsoever. And I think maybe part of what Jesus is trying to teach the apostles is don't miss the people that everyone misses. Don't look right past the people that are right here. Okay, this is Mark chapter 9. If anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. Mark chapter 9. Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. Mark chapter 9. Okay, got it, Jesus. That's good teaching. Thank you for that teaching. If we want to be someone important, we're going to have to humble ourselves. Got it. The first are going to be last. Last are going to be first. We understand it. Thank you. We need to welcome little children. We need to have this childlike innocence. We need to not miss people right in front of us. Got it. That's good teaching. Thank you, Jesus. Where are we going for lunch? Mark chapter 9. I'm convinced that those first century Christians struggled with the exact same problems that we struggle with as 21st century followers of Jesus. And that is, we hear something, but we're pretty quick to forget it. Or else pretty quick to decide that it doesn't really apply to me. Because notice what happens one chapter later. The very next chapter. Chapter 10. Verse 13, one day some people brought their children to Jesus so he could touch them and bless them. And the disciples said, come on in. We love kids. Jesus loved kids. We love kids. We're a kid-loving place here. We're going to take good care of your kids. Line up single file. Jesus is going to touch them all. He's going to bless them all. We're so glad you're here today. Oh, wait. One day, some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could touch them and bless them. The disciples told them not to bother him. Are you kidding me? Come on, one chapter earlier, didn't you learn anything? We don't want kids here now. There's important things going on here. Parents, get the kids out of here. You're bothering us. Verse 14. But when Jesus saw what was happening, he was very displeased with his disciples. He said to them, again, let the children come to me. And I wonder what the inflection was when Jesus said that. If it were me, it would have been, let the children come to me. For crying out loud. Don't stop them. For the children of God belongs to such as these. 
I assure you, anyone who doesn't have their kind of faith will never get into the kingdom of God. Then he took the children into his arms and placed his hands on their heads and blessed them. Sound familiar, guys? Is any of this coming back to you? Did we not talk about this one chapter earlier? This was important. This was a big deal. I thought you got it. You didn't get it. Believe it or not, it gets even worse. The timing of this is, is so ironic. Jesus now has a conversation with James and John. And it's almost as if they haven't learned a thing from, from Mark chapter 9. Because in Mark chapter 10, verse 35, then, G, then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came over and spoke to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do us a favor. What is it, he asked. In your glorious kingdom, we want to sit in places of honor next to you. One at your right and the other at your left. John and, John and his brother James say, we would like to be the most important people in the kingdom. Because you remember, we're kind of part of the inner group here, right? You remember, you invited us up on top of the mountain. We witnessed the transfiguration, right? We saw Elijah. We saw Moses. We heard the voice of God. Okay, Peter did too, but God yelled at him. So that kind of, you know, that kind of takes him out of the running. But we think we should be the most important people in the kingdom. And I've got to think Jesus is going, Guys, are you kidding me? Have you not listened to anything I've said? Did you not hear what I just said? In our Bibles, it was, it was a chapter ago. I thought I was clear on this. I thought you got it. I thought you understood it. Obviously, you did not. Verse 41. When the other ten disciples discovered what James and John had asked, they were indignant. Yes, they were. So Jesus called them together and said, You know that in this world kings are tyrants, and officials lord it over the people beneath them. But among you it should be quite different. Again... Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And again, whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. Is any of this sounding familiar, guys? Do you get a sense that you've heard me say this before? Because it wasn't so long ago we went over this exact same thing. One chapter earlier, they'd been arguing about the same thing. Who is going to be the greatest? And Jesus says, if you want to be the greatest, you're going to have to humble yourself. If anybody wants to be first, it's got to be the very last, a servant of all. And then in the 10th chapter, James and John are saying, Jesus, I don't think what you said applies to us. I don't know if they forgot what Jesus said or if they just decided it didn't apply to them. Okay, Jesus, I know what you're saying, but... We don't think that applies to us. We know what you said, but come on, we've been here longer than anybody. I mean, we were two of the first disciples. I mean, we go all the way back to the beginning. Shouldn't we you know, deserve a place of honor? I know what you said, but we're sort of rationalizing that it doesn't really apply to us, does it? The apostles learned it in chapter 9, but they sure weren't living it in chapter 10. 
You know, we want to be people of faith. I know we do. We are people of faith. We wouldn't be here if we weren't people of faith. We want our faith to be real and effective and affirming. We want our faith to grow. But really, how different are we? You know, we learn things and we forget it. Or we read something and we ignore it. We're taught something and we sort of rationalize, well, I don't think that really applies to me. If you want to be great, you're going to have to be humble. If you want to be great, you're going to have to pay attention to others. I live on a street where several of my neighbors have a lawn service that comes in once or twice a week. You probably do as well. They fertilize the lawns all the time. The grass is always cut. The flower beds are always mulched. The, you know, the, the sidewalks are edged. It always looks so much better than mine. And I drive home and I drive up and I think, that would be so nice. That would be so nice to just drive up to my house at night and you know, everything be done. That would be great. Because I'm programmed to think that someday when I finally arrive, Someday when I get to where I really want to be, someday when I make it, people are going to be serving me. Now, I don't think that Jesus is talking about lawn care. In the Bible here, if you've got somebody that does your lawn, more power to you. But I think he is talking about our faith walk. And I think he's trying to, to teach us to, to, to fight against that notion that someday when we make it, Someday when we're right where God wants us to be, someday when we really mature as Christians, people are going to be serving us. And Jesus is saying, one, you're never going to make it. But the closer you get, the more you grow, the, the closer you get to where I want you to be, you're going to be serving other people. You're going to be, you're going to be doing the work. You're going to be helping. You're going to be calling. You're going to be encouraging. You're going to be the one doing the serving. And you know what? The blessing then is mine. The blessing is ours. You're not going to be serving like, okay, I know I've got to do it. Man, will somebody do it for me, but I'm a good Christian. So here. No, the promise of Scripture is that we get the blessings. Not too long ago, Time Magazine did a cover story entitled The Science of Happiness. And it was uh, about a study that was conducted, a really massive study, about who the happiest people in the world are and what makes them happy. And they begin with the premise that most people begin with that probably people who have it all are the happiest. You know, movie stars or professional athletes or you know, presidents of you know, big companies or somebody who's hit the lottery. But what they found was the people that are the happiest were people of faith. In fact, they got more specific than that. They said that Christians, followers of Jesus, were happier than other people of faith. Christians were, were happier than Hindus or, or Muslims. And then they even got more specific than that. They said the happiest Christians are the ones who have found a way to pour their life into other people's lives in a meaningful way. In other words, the happiest Christians are the ones who have learned to serve other people. And Time Magazine's conclusion was, the happiest people on the face of the earth are people 
who love God and love their neighbor. I could have saved them all that work. You could have saved them all that, all that money. Because when Jesus is asked, what are the great, what's the greatest commandments? I'll give you the top two. Love God, love people. That will make you the happiest people on the face of the earth. That's a blessing to us. Everything in our human nature kind of pulls us away. Everything in culture kind of pulls us away from the very thing that will give our lives meaning. From the very thing that will bring us happiness, joy, and excitement, and passion. All of that really comes by touching the lives of other people. There's no feeling in the world like it. Living out your faith means noticing people that others don't notice. And not just noticing them, but, but serving people that others don't serve. Putting yourself at the bottom of the pecking order, humbling yourself, considering others ahead of yourself. Now, wouldn't it be great if that's what we were known for? Wouldn't it be kind of great if we were known, not for what we know, but for what we did? Oh, you're the guy that does this. You're, you're the church that, that did that. And I'm certainly not in any way suggesting that great acts of service aren't being done here. But Jesus calls us. He challenges us to humble ourselves, to serve others. And then the promise is, you'll be blessed. You'll, you'll be blessed if you do that. We really want to be people of faith. Then we're going to have to put others first. Travis has a song that we're going to use, a song of encouragement this morning. If in any way we can help you, anything going on in your life, again, maybe it has nothing to do with the lesson, but we're people who pray. We believe in the power of prayer. And if we can pray with you, come to the front. There'll be some people here to meet you. Let's stand.